If you would, take out your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. The book of Genesis, chapter 4. I hope that you you brought a Bible with you this morning, Uh, but if for some reason you didn't, uh, you're welcome to use one of our pew Bibles. I'll be happy for you to do that. That's what they're there for. And uh, if you choose to do that, you'll find this passage this morning on page 3. Uh, on page 3. Uh, we're going to be reading from Genesis 4, verses 8 through 15, as we continue our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11. When you are there, if you are physically able, I'd ask you to stand as I read for us Genesis 4, 8 through 15, if you would stand with us. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden." I shall be a fugitive and no wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. You may be seated. It has been said that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It is a truth of Scripture that sin not dealt with begets more sin. Because sin is always on the move. It's never stagnant. If we do not have sin on the retreat in our lives, I can assure you it is actively gaining ground in our lives. As sin begets sin, we are led deeper and deeper into darkened, foolish thinking, into wrong and wicked attitudes, into more and more heinous types of sin. Like a frog in a frying pan. Sin left unchecked and unrepented of will continue to grow and to escalate in our lives, escalating in its intensity until it kills us. And so we must wake up and flee sin and jump out of the frying pan before it is too late. When we make friends with sin and its pleasures, We are making friends with one who at some point in the future will turn on us and stab us in the back, making us miserable, enslaving us, doing untold harm to us and those we care about. The husband 
who had that lustful thought about the new secretary at work, never intended to commit adultery with her. And the wife who told her husband that one little lie, never intended for it to become a whole web of lies that she now works to keep up. The teenager who took that first hit, never imagined it would become an active addiction. The young lady who couldn't help but make that one spontaneous, cruel remark to her friend, never intended that it would result in bitterness between them for years. How many people have not been to church in years because one Sunday they decided not to go, and then the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. It was never their intention to drop out, but that's the nature of sin. This is what we call the downward spiral of sin. It begins with a small spark, but soon it is a forest fire of selfishness and rebellion raging within us. It begins with just one step down the hill. And before long, we're tumbling and tumbling and we cannot stop ourselves. You give sin an inch and it soon takes a mile. And one day we wake up to realize that it has conquered us enslaved us and we do not have the will to fight against it and our profession of faith in Jesus as Lord is rather meaningless because our sin has become our Lord Cain got caught in the downward spiral of sin began with his heart it always begins with the heart began with his heart We've already seen in past weeks, we looked at particularly Hebrews 11.4, where Cain's sin begins when he gets caught up in unbelief. He fails to trust God, to honor God as he ought. And because he did not acknowledge God as worthy of his love, because he did not acknowledge God uh, to be worthy of his gratitude and his reverence, when the day for him to bring an offering came, he brought a half-hearted offering He committed what some would consider to be a small sin. He simply did not bring his best. But it was no small sin because the offering that he brought showed what was in his his heart. That he loved himself rather than God. That he kept the best for himself. That he had more regard for himself than he had for God. And so we have this selfishness and this uh, lack of reverence for God welling up in his heart. And it shows itself, it expresses itself first in this offering. But it does not stop there. God graciously saw what was happening in Cain's life and confronted him about it. It was an act of love on God's part that in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But rather than repent, Cain became angry at God. He was unwilling to acknowledge that his problem was himself. Rather, he pointed the finger at God. Why won't he receive my offering? At least I brought something. Might not have been exactly right, but at least I did something right. Why can't God respect what I've done? 
Cain was full of pride. He was angry at God. was failing to acknowledge the kind of honor that our God is due. And the spiral was happening. Cain was already caught up in unbelief, ingratitude, a lack of reverence for God, disobedience and worship, pride, anger, and it's snowballing. Where will it lead? The anger that Cain has towards God affects his relationship with his brother. And I would ask you to mark this down, church. Our relationship with God always affects our relationship with others. Always. Our vertical relationship with God has profound effects on our horizontal relationships with others. Now this is true in a very positive way. If we are trusting God, if we have, to, if we have come to believe in His love for us, as shown in Jesus Christ, then our hearts as we rest in Christ are filled with joy as we abide in our relationship with God and His promises to us and His gift of salvation to us. Our security is in God. Our joy is in God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. When your heart believes that and receives that so that you are basking in God's lavish love for you, then your relationship with others will be seasoned with joy and with happiness. You will be willing to take criticism because your security isn't bound up in what others think of you. Even on a tough day, you know your God and you know your identity, and you know your future in heaven is coming. And so even on that tough day, you can have comfort and contentment because you know God is working all for your good. And therefore, when that person in the car behind you is angry and is laying on the horn, and you can't do a thing about the car that broke down in front of you, you can respond with a sense of love and compassion in your heart. You can love your spouse and you can love your children and you can love your parents and you can love your in-laws and your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You can love anyone despite the sins, despite the way they may have hurt you, despite the way they may have affected your life in negative ways. You have more than you need in Christ. You have all that you need in Christ. And therefore that relationship with Christ frees you to serve others and to love others and to bless others and to forgive others. If we love God, we will show that by loving others. If we honor God, we will show that by honoring those who bear His image. Having a proper relationship with God is central to having a proper relationship with everybody else in our lives. It's true negatively as well. If we are separated from God, if we are living under His judgment, If we get up each day with the weight and guilt of sin still on our shoulders, we do not have the spiritual resources we need to relate well to others. We may become angry at God for different things in our lives. 
And when we become angry at God, or even if we just begin not to fear Him and not to care about God, the same result happens. We begin to disobey His commands. And when we begin to disobey His commands, we begin to disobey those commands about how we treat others. Since we do not reverence God, we do not reverence our fellow human beings who bear His image. Because we do not fear God, we do not take His law seriously. And therefore we find ourselves manipulating other people and mistreating them for our own advantage. True peace and true contentment in Jesus Christ gives us the freedom to love and serve others. But without Christ, there is no real lasting peace. There is no genuine contentment. And misery breeds misery. Cain's relationship with God was broken. And therefore, very quickly, his relationship with his brother was broken. Jealousy was stirring up in Cain's soul. God had regard for Abel's offering. God accepted Abel's offering. God must really love Abel. Look at how God shows regard for Abel. Cain's jealousy blinded him to the fact that God loved him too. That's why God came to him and confronted him about the sin in his life. This is why God called him to repentance. God loved Cain as well, but this jealousy towards Abel was so blossoming in Cain's heart that that it was growing into hatred toward his brother. It became a hardened bitterness towards his brother that ultimately resulted in premeditated murder. We're told in verse 8 that Cain spoke to his brother. Some Bible translations say that Cain spoke to his brother and said, Let us go to the field. However, that phrase isn't in the earliest manuscript, so we uh, feel quite likely that it actually isn't a part of the original text. The truth is that we're not really told what Cain said to his brother. Some think that Cain went to his brother and told him what God had said to him about repenting. But that seems very unlikely. I don't know why Cain would go to his brother and say, God told me to repent, and then, and then he kills him. It doesn't, doesn't fit in my mind. But whatever precisely was said, these words seem to indicate that there was some measure of plotting in Cain's heart. That the murder of Abel was no sudden thing, but it was the full blossoming of the anger in his heart. This appears to have been premeditated murder. Murder in the first degree. Jesus said in John 8 that the devil has been a murderer from the beginning. Now Cain, who like us were created to imitate God, has instead chosen to imitate Satan. He is revealing through his actions that he is of the seed of the serpent. Remember Genesis 3.15. Cain is of the seed of the serpent. He's imitating his father the devil. Jesus in John 8 speaks that way. The grace that God gave to Adam and Eve after their sin, which they received and were saved, Cain now rejects that grace and he continues in his wicked God came to Adam and Eve walking in the garden and says, what is this you have done? And at least Adam and Eve acknowledge their sin. Cain will not even do that. Adam and Eve see their younger son murdered and their older son following the path of the devil. 
But the downward spiral has not yet ended. Because the murder of Abel is followed by another utterly heinous sin. Cain blatantly lies to the very face of God. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? This is another opportunity for Cain to come clean. He can repent. He can acknowledge what he has done and turn to the Lord. Cain, remember how Adam and Eve, when God came to them and questioned them, remember how they confessed their sin? Cain, will you follow in your parents' footsteps? Will you tell the Lord what happened? Will you admit to God, where is your brother Abel? And Cain responds with four amazingly audacious words. I do not know. Cain knew very well where his brother was. Dead bodies don't get up and move around. Cain is lying to the face of God. As if if God doesn't know where Abel is. As As if Cain somehow thinks he may be able to get away from this and to hide his sin from God. And friends, there might be some of you in this room who are under the illusion that you are somehow succeeding in hiding your sins from God. Lose that illusion this very moment. You may be able to act respectable around us. And you may be able to fool others into thinking your life is nice and tidy, but you will not fool God. He has been with you every moment of your life. There is not a wicked thought, wicked word, or wicked deed that you've ever committed that He is not fully acquainted with. He knows them all this very moment. Every sin you've ever committed is before His eyes this very moment and they are abhorrent to Him. The Bible tells us that God's wrath is burning against these sins of ours. And your refusal to come clean before Him, if you refuse to turn from these sins, it means that you are walking the path of Cain, the path that leads to destruction, the path that leads to your righteous punishment in hell. Friends, you have no secrets which God does not know. Confess your sins, therefore. Humble yourselves before Him. He will receive you and forgive you if you will hate your sins and love Him who is worthy and good. He can forgive you because of Jesus. Adam and Eve were saved because of Jesus. He took the punishment for their sins and He took the punishment for you. If you'll simply believe on Christ, don't walk in the way of Cain who refused to repent. Cain, in a moment of arrogance, And self-preservation says to God, I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? His attitude reflects that same sinful, rampant individualism that plagues our culture today. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be responsible for my brother? Am I really to be involved in his life, caught up in his business Surely my brother's big enough to care for himself. He's supposed to live his life. I'm supposed to live my life. 
It's the attitude of a man who just killed his brother. And it's the neighbor of many in our culture who do not love their neighbors. They say they love their neighbors by not getting in their business. But it's a cover-up. The reason they're not involved in the lives of their neighbors is they don't give a flip about their neighbors. As a local church, God has called us to be keepers of one another. Did you know that? We are to be our brother's keepers. We are to be our sister's keepers. We are to care for one another, to guard one another, to seek to be of help in one another's lives. Do we need to know the most intimate details of one another's lives? No, we don't. But we do need to be actively involved in praying for one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, and being honest about our struggles. Adam was called to be a keeper of the garden, the dwelling place of God on earth. The priests were called to be keepers of the temple, the place where God's Spirit dwelled among Israel. Now you and I, are called to be keepers of one another because we are each individually and together the temple of God. Adam was to keep sin out of the garden. Priest was to keep the temple clean and pure because that was God's dwelling place. Now, we as temples of God are to be kept clean and pure and holy and we're to keep one another in that endeavor. We're to help one another strive for holiness. For the glory of God... And for the good of your fellow believers, would you say that you are your brother's keeper? Would you say that you are your sister's keeper in this church? Why did God, who knows everything, ask Cain where Abel was? He did so to give Cain another opportunity to confess. God knew very well where Abel was because God then goes on to say that he could hear Abel's blood crying to him from the ground. Abel was the first martyr, the first of those who were righteous through faith in God, the first of the seed of the woman to be killed by the seed of the serpent. And beginning with Abel and moving on till today, the church has a long history of God's people being persecuted and murdered by those who are not God's people. We can follow the trail of suffering through the Bible. Abel murdered by Cain. Israel enslaved to Egypt. David hunted by wicked Saul. Jeremiah thrown into the cistern. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire. Daniel thrown to the lions. Zechariah murdered between the altar and the sanctuary. John the Baptist beheaded by Herod. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the One in whom there was no sin, slain by the very people He created. Jesus told His disciples, Hear this, disciples. Jesus told His disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Do wolves treat sheep kindly? So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. 
And you will be dragged before governors and kings for My sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Jesus went on to say, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you, disciples, will be hated by all for My name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 10, 16-22 You will be hated by all for My name's sake. Those who follow God and strive to keep His law and celebrate the grace of Jesus Christ, we will walk differently. We will live distinctly in this world. And when the world sees the light of our lives, they will hate us. Remember what Jesus said in John 3, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So it is with us. If we follow our Savior in being light, if we live holy lives, our light will expose their darkness and we will be hated. Abel's righteous offering exposed the wickedness of Cain's offering and Cain, rather than repenting, hates and murders the brother. As time marches on, God's people will always be hated. Revelation seems to teach that throughout history there will rise world powers governmental powers with strong economies and strong militaries that will actively seek to do harm to God's people. Babylon was one of those. Rome was one of those. The Soviet Union was one of those. China is one of those. And the pattern continues to this very day. And yet Christ has called us to persevere, to hold fast, to not be afraid To the one who overcomes, He has promised the crown of life. The seed of the serpent will continue to bruise our heels, but we have crushed the serpent's head in Jesus Christ. The song says, The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. We will reign with Christ victoriously forever. Abel was martyred, but he still lives with Jesus Christ. And so let us take courage. And brothers and sisters, we who live in the Bible Belt and have it easier than probably any other Christians on earth, in those moments when we face a little bit of suffering, when somebody makes some scowling remark about your faith or your life of piety, receive that suffering and say, I'm following my Savior who took much worse than that. Remember how the disciples rejoiced to be counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ? So should we. Began with Abel, continues to this very day. Well, like the martyrs in Revelation 6, Abel's blood cries out to God for justice. He was murdered simply because he had loved God enough to worship Him well. How can God allow the righteous to be slaughtered while the wicked get away with it? There must be justice. Cain deserves death. Physical death and the righteous wrath of God in hell. But notice the punishment to Cain. God does not immediately cast Cain into hell. God does not immediately take his life from him. He lets him live. 
Later, God will say in Genesis 9-6 that premeditated murder is to be punished by the death penalty. But God is merciful to Cain and lets him live. Look at the judgment which God issues to Cain. It is severe, but in light of what Cain deserved, it is merciful. The ground which received the blood of Abel will no longer bear its fruit for Cain. Man was created to work the earth, to bring forth fruit from the earth, to imitate God by using our abilities to develop the earth and to give it further order and beauty, but it will do so no longer for Cain. At the fall, work was made difficult for all humanity in Adam, but for Cain, work in the earth is going to become impossible. The earth will no longer respond to Cain. Cain had been a farmer all his life, but now no longer because the earth has been made his enemy. And church, we need to be careful to note here. Are you still with me, church? Are you, are you with me? We need to be careful to note here that this teaches us very clearly that ultimately God is responsible for our success in work. Because Cain didn't become um, suddenly not as good a worker as he was before after he killed Abel. He was the same man he was before. He was the same farmer, but now God was closing up the womb of the earth so that he would no longer prosper as he had in the past. And we need to be reminded that fruitfulness in our efforts in this world, fruitfulness in our different vocations, is ultimately under the sovereign hand of God. And so if we have become more fruitful than others in our business or our vocation, we must not lord it over others who may have worked just as hard and not seen the same results. And if we have sought to work well and yet God has not blessed as we would like and we have not seen the fruit that others have, we are to be content with what God has given us, though to pray for more of His blessing. The point is that God is sovereign over all the earth and He closed up the earth's womb to Cain and it will no longer bear Him fruit. The earth is now Cain's enemy. And so are fellow human beings. Because God declares that Cain will now be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, a vagabond. Since the earth won't respond to him, he'll have to go elsewhere to find his food and his sustenance. He'll have to depend on others. And others will see him as a, a cursed man, a man worthy of death. But as severe as... The, I'm almost at the end. As severe as this punishment is, is Cain thankful that God spared his life? Does Cain fall to his knees and say, God, this is tough, but I deserve death. Thank you for sparing me. No. Cain continues to blame God rather than himself. In verses 13 through 15, he accuses God of still being too severe. Cain still sees himself as the victim. He, he may even be accusing God here of promoting sin. For he says that if God brings this judgment upon him, someone else will see his wretchedness and kill him. Is that what you want, God? You want somebody else committing murder? Are you going to let me live so that you can bring somebody else into sin? Is that what you're doing, God? And of course, God will have none of it. And therefore, to show his holiness... And as an act of grace towards Cain, God puts a permanent tattoo, a mark on Cain that would deter anyone from killing him. I have no idea what the tattoo looked like. The Bible doesn't tell us. But this does show us both God's justice, that he would not be accused of promoting murder, and it shows us his grace. But even here at the end, Cain's heart is full of self-love. 
He is hard and unrepentant to the last. He has solidified his position as one who is an enemy of God. Church, Cain and Abel had parents who knew the Lord. They had been taught to worship God. And I would go so far as to suggest that when Cain brought his half-hearted offering that day, he never intended for it to result in him becoming a murderer and an exile. He got caught in the downward spiral of sin because he refused to repent. So my question to you is this. Where are you this morning? Is it possible that you are currently in a downward spiral of sin? Have you gotten caught up in sin and rather than repenting and rather than returning to Christ, you are continuing to go down that path. You are continuing to walk that path. You are going and you are going and you're getting to the place where you're unable to stop the sin and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. God graciously gave Cain a warning calling him to repent. And God gives you warnings, calling you to repent. How do you respond when God speaks into your life with a warning about your sin? Maybe it's in your own personal Bible study and you you get to a passage and it convicts you about a sin in your life. Maybe it's in the Sunday school or the worship service. Maybe it's a brother or sister who loves you enough to go to you and to say, friend, I've seen this in your life. I want to talk with you about it. I think we need to get this out of your life. When someone comes to you that way or when God speaks into your life of a warning, do you respond like Cain? Anger against God. God, my life is yours except for this sin. This is off limits. Or do you repent and turn from the sin and embrace forgiveness in Christ? The Bible tells us in Jude 11 that we are to beware those in the church of God who walk in the way of Cain. Jude describes the way of Cain as those who do not acknowledge their sin but always play the victim. There's a lot of people in our culture that love to play the victim. These people are quick to blame others but refuse to repent themselves. They are concerned primarily with their own interest and their own advantage. And we are to call them to repentance and to recognize that until they do, they do not belong to God. Jude 11, 1 John 3.12 talks about Cain. It says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. We are not to imitate Cain's jealousy. We are not to imitate Cain's refusal to deal with his own sin. How many people there are today that would rather point fingers at others than to deal with the sin in their own lives? And day after day, they walk the downward spiral of sin. Hebrews 12.24, this truly is the end. Hebrews 12.24 says that there is a blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel's. Abel's blood cried out to God for justice. But Christ's blood shed at the cross cries out to God for mercy and forgiveness towards all who call on the name of Jesus. It's a better word. I ask you, have you had your sins forgiven through Jesus? Have you? Have you been made new? Are you walking a better road, the road of Abel, the road of faith and obedience rather than the road of Cain? You say, Justin, I am stuck in that downward spiral of sin. 
What can I do? Plead Christ as your hope of forgiveness. Embrace forgiveness in Him. Hate your sin. Hate your sin. Resolve to end your pattern of sin. Pray for God's help. And then make use of the means of grace that God has given you to help you defeat sin. He's given you your Bible. He's given you your knees to get down on and to pray. He's given you brothers and sisters in Christ. Be in church. Be on mission for God so that you don't get caught up in the selfish lifestyle of our culture, but rather you get caught up in a culture of blessing others and serving others. Give your thoughts, words, and actions to the things of God so that you'll have no opportunity commit sins of the flesh. If you are caught in the downward spiral of sin this morning, I would ask you to find grace and forgiveness and a new life in Christ this morning. Turn to Jesus. Trust Him for salvation. And then trust Him enough to do what He says. Let's pray.